Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the morning services. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. Mark 14, 16 to 31 and 66 to 72. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. You will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written... I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the cock crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him closely. You also were with that Nazarene Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and went out into the entrance. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing round them, This fellow is one of them. Again he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. He began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately the cock crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the cock crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Sam. Beautifully read as always. Well, what a night that was for Peter. It began with him full of confidence and certainty that he would never abandon his Lord Jesus and it ended with him completely denying him. It ended with Peter, it started sorry with Peter surrounded by friends and it ended with him alone. In the space of just a few hours Peter's world had been turned completely upside down. But this wasn't the first time Peter's world had been turned upside down. Peter was the first disciple that was called by Jesus, along with his brother Andrew. Jesus said to him, come follow me, I will make you fishers of men. So Peter, who was actually called Simon at this point, left his nets and followed Jesus. More disciples were called and Peter began to witness the amazing things that Jesus did. One day Simon was a fisherman The next, he was a disciple of the Messiah who renamed him Peter, which means rock. 
His world had been turned upside down completely unexpectedly. We see Peter throughout all the Gospels. He saw Jesus heal his own mother-in-law, and he saw him heal people of diseases, heal people who couldn't walk, and even bring a dead girl back to life. We can read throughout the New Testament the amazing journey that Peter had with Jesus, yet here we see him deny even knowing him to a young servant girl. The night before Peter's denial of Christ was Passover, when Jewish people remember and celebrate when God freed their ancestors from slavery in Egypt. This is what we now call the Last Supper and what we remember during communion. Jesus and his disciples gathered together to celebrate, to eat, to be with one another in fellowship, but the conversation turned to something difficult. Jesus said that one of his disciples would betray him and the rest would all fall away. This saddened the disciples, but Peter was not about to accept it. He said in verse 29, even if all fall away, I will not. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Today, yes, tonight, before the cock crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. So they were all in agreement that they would die with Jesus if it came to it. But we know what happened, don't we? We know that later that night, Jesus was arrested. Judas had betrayed him. He'd identified him to the crowds of men that came armed with clubs and swords. And they took Jesus away to the high priest to be tried. And the rest of the disciples fled. They all scattered. They ran away. But Peter followed away behind Jesus. He kept his distance, but he followed to where they took him. Jesus was taken before the Sanhedrin, before the high priests, the teachers of the Lord, where he would be questioned, interrogated, and later beaten. And whilst Jesus' interrogation was taking place, Peter sat outside in the courtyard, by a fire next to the guards. And a servant girl approached. When she saw Peter, she said, you were also with that Nazarene Jesus. But Peter said, I don't know or understand what you're talking about. And Peter then moved away. He left the fireplace and moved into the entrance area, a dark place where he could try and hide from this girl. But she didn't let up. The girl saw him there and she said to the others around them, this fellow is one of them. And again, Peter denied knowing Jesus. Finally, the others present chipped in saying, surely you are one of them, you're a Galilean. They'd recognized his accent and probed him further. And at this point, Peter began to call down curses and he swore to them, I do not know this man you are talking about. Immediately, the cock crowed for the second time that morning, and Peter remembered the words that Jesus said to him. Before the cock crows twice, you will disown me three times. And Peter broke down and wept. What a roller coaster. Peter's journey started with confidence. He was certain he would never abandon his Lord. 
He loved Jesus. He trusted him. He spent his days with him. There were times when only Peter and maybe one or two others were allowed to be with Jesus. And yet here he was completely denying even knowing him. How easy it is to trust God when we experience being in his presence so closely, when we see goodness, when we see prayers answered. Another instance we see Peter go from confidence to fear is when he stepped out of the boat in Matthew. Peter and his disciples were on a boat fishing and Jesus approached them on the water. Peter was understandably amazed and he said to Jesus, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come on then. So Peter stepped out onto the water. But then he saw the waves and the wind and fear overcame him. And he began to sink. Jesus, of course, saved him from the water. But Peter had started with confidence and boldness and ended up sinking. Fear is an enormously powerful emotion. But actually, fear is more than just an emotion. Fear is a mechanism designed to save our lives. And I love this story of Peter. I love that it's part of the Gospels because it is a wonderful example of humanity and the the place that we walk between the messy here and now and the glorious kingdom of God. I wonder how fear comes up in your life. Fear is on a spectrum, isn't it? We might at one end feel butterflies in our stomach about something that we might have to do, and at the other end we might experience sheer terror that literally stops us in our tracks. And then there's everything in between. Worry, anxiety, panic attacks, phobias. But really fear is a good thing. It's a God-given gift designed to save our lives. It's like a fire alarm in our house that goes off and alerts us when danger is around. And it compels us into action to save our lives or to enable us to save the lives of someone else. And this is what happened with Peter. He sensed a threat. He knew that he was in danger if he was identified as one of Jesus' followers. He might be captured, he might be beaten, even killed. Just like when Peter walked on water... He saw the danger and fear took over, and he denied all knowledge of his Lord in order to escape. This story can be used as an example of weakness or cowardice or faithlessness, but I think if we look at it in that way, we are missing the point. I have a lot of compassion for this young man who tried to do the right thing, After all, he at least followed Jesus. All the other disciples had run away and Peter had followed a short distance behind. But he had found himself isolated and alone in a dark place, fearful for his life. This is a story of humanity and the mercy and grace and redemption and salvation that God offers to all of us. We've been living in a pandemic for the last year and fear and anxiety are greater than ever. 
Many of us have been fearful for our lives or the lives of loved ones who may be vulnerable or elderly, fearful that we or they may get sick. Maybe your fear has been for your job and your income, whether you're going to be able to pay your bills. Or maybe you've been fearful of isolation and loneliness. The truth is, when we become a Christian, we don't get to only experience the positive emotions in life. Fear continues to be a part of our life, as does sadness or pain. We live like Peter in that space between the messy here and now and the glorious kingdom of God. But how are we to navigate fear within that context? Well, there are three things that I think might be helpful for us to look at when we're dealing with fear. And the first is to recognize the God we serve. Usually when it comes to fear, we focus on ourselves or on the things around us. We feel anxious, unsteady, weak, fearful, like Peter who noticed the waves and began to sink. I do this all the time, if I'm honest. I see things going on around me that are out of my control or that I'm worried about, and I can easily feel like I'm drowning. But while Peter was in the courtyard crumbling under the pressure of a young servant girl, Jesus was calm, collected, bold and strong in the face of severe aggression and interrogation, knowing that his confession to being the Messiah would seal his fate. Jesus too was fearful. We know that because he prayed that this cup would be taken from him. He didn't want to experience the searing pain and, f- and death that he was facing. Peter experienced fear and he crumbled. Jesus experienced fear and he stood firm. We don't have to face anything on our, on our own when we follow Jesus. And we don't have to face any fears out of our own strength. Peter was called rock, but Jesus is the true rock. We may feel like we are crumbling, and a lot of the time we probably are, but we have by our side surrounding us a Lord who is bold and strong. The second thing that I think we can do is to move out of the darkness. Remember that Peter was alone here. He had only the guards for company. If fear is creeping up in your life, who do you have around you? 1 John 4 verse 18 says, Perfect love drives out fear. This is a verse which is often used to encourage us when we feel fearful, as if if we just cling to it long enough, or if we just hold on to it tightly enough, our fear will disappear. But it's actually written in the context of community. The passage in 1 John begins with, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. We're to deal with fear in the context of relationship with God and with one another. Over recent months and coming up to a year, we've been thinking about how we have community when we can't be together in the same space. Staying connected is really hard at the moment. When we're dealing with fear, we need to move out of the darkness of isolation. 
When the servant girl pressed Peter for the first time, he got up, he moved away from the light of the fire into the dark place of the entrance where he could hide. How often do we do that ourselves? When the pressure hits, we retreat, we hide. We don't want to see anyone or speak to people. We don't want to ask for any help. Maybe it's pride or shame that stops us, but in order to deal with fear in a good way, we need to move out of the darkness. Maybe we can talk to somebody about what we're experiencing, and that could be a friend or your home group leader, the care team here at Emmanuel, or John or Ben, or a doctor or counsellor, someone that's trustworthy and loves God. Fear grows in dark places, And in order to reduce its power, we need to bring it into the light. And the third thing that might be helpful is to dig a little deeper. When we begin to talk to others about our fears, we can start to understand what the root of it is. To understand what it is that we're really scared of deep down. I don't think Peter was really scared of a young servant girl. He was scared of a painful death. That's not often that we find ourselves in a situation like Peter, where we're fearful for our lives, but we might find ourselves in places where we're fearful about things that seem maybe silly or insignificant. For example, I often get really worried and anxious about sending emails, particularly at work. I'll write an email to somebody, maybe my boss, and then I'll read it, I'll delete it, I'll rewrite it, I'll check it back, and I can end up wasting a lot of time writing an email because I feel fearful or worried. Now, I'm not fearful about writing an email. I'm scared that I might get something wrong or I might offend somebody. I'm worried that they might think I'm incompetent or a horrible person. So I'm not fearful about sending emails. I'm fearful of rejection. And that rejection, that root, is something that I can take to my Heavenly Father who can begin to transform me with his love and unconditional acceptance that he has for me. Once we dig deep into our fears, we can take the root of them to God where he can transform us with his love. When Peter realized that out of his fear he had denied Jesus, he broke down and wept. He had done the very thing that he said he would never do. And that sound of the cock crowing for the second time that morning was like a piercing arrow of conviction straight through his heart. There are times when out of fear we let God down. Maybe we've literally denied God in school or in our workplaces, uni or families because we're worried that we're going to get mocked. Maybe we have felt a calling on our lives, something that God is asking us to stand up for or something that he's asking us to do with our jobs or careers. But because we're fearful of the risk, we're ignoring him. That image of Peter breaking down and weeping is a really painful one. He may have felt guilt, shame, sorrow, 
even self-loathing. Jesus had named him Rock, but he had crumbled. Conviction from God is not about guilt and punishment. Conviction is God's way of pointing out to us the things in our lives that he would like us to change. Conviction is God's way of discipling us. We, if we are followers of Jesus, are like Peter, we're disciples. And a disciple is someone who is learning and training, developing, and this is a lifelong journey. And there are times on that journey where we take the wrong road and we need to correct our path. In Joel 2, it says, Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, because he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. We can and should experience conviction from God. And that may be a gentle whispering in your ear, or it may be a piercing and sudden realization. It may make us feel guilt, remorse, or even sorrow. And it is good to recognize and identify and even experience those emotions but it is important that we don't get stuck there for too long. We can move through those things by speaking to God about what we've done and about saying sorry, what we call confession, and returning to God, who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. We don't see much of Peter in Mark's Gospel after his denial, but John gives an account of Peter speaking with Jesus after the resurrection. Peter and some of the disciples had gone fishing one morning and they'd struggled to catch something for quite some time. Jesus was standing on the shore, although they didn't realize it was Jesus at this point, and he was speaking to them and directing them to put their nets on the other side of the boat so that they would catch a miraculous amount of fish. As soon as Peter realized that it was Jesus, he leapt out of the boat and swam to shore, and the other disciples followed along in the boat. On the shore, Jesus had a fire burning. He was ready and waiting for his disciples, and he said to them in verse 12, Come and have breakfast. A short time before, Peter had denied Jesus in the most obvious way, And yet here was Jesus, ready, waiting, preparing food for him. This is such a beautiful image of Jesus. It shows his grace, his compassion, and his servant-hearted nature. Jesus later commissions Peter to go and build his church, but first he says to him, come and have breakfast. Peter's journey in this passage is mirrored in all of our lives. We move between purpose and fear and regret. But at every point, whatever stage we're at, Jesus is always saying, come and have breakfast. Return to me and let me feed you. 
We are all living in that space between the messy here and now and the glorious kingdom of God. And it is not always a comfortable place to be. But we walk in that space with a God who is bold and strong, who will never crumble, who we can constantly return to, and who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. I've mentioned the meals that Jesus had with his disciples, the Passover meal, the Last Supper, and the breakfast that he offered to them after the resurrection. And this is something that's been taken away from us over the last year, just being able to be together as a church, have fellowship, eat together, nurture and build relationships. And if we were all able to be together in this building this morning, we would have celebrated communion. But whilst restrictions have put us on hold for now, we can see a time in the near future when we'll be able to be together and enjoy that fellowship and celebrate communion together. But for today, I'm going to lead us in a quiet reflection and a time of stillness. Now, some of you at home may be distracted with children or other things going, around, going on around you and different devices and so on. And so maybe you can come back to this later and give yourself five minutes to have a bit of stillness. But also just know that whatever you are doing right now, in that moment, God is with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a relational God. Thank you that you love community. And until we are able to meet together in the same building, will you help us to know that we are together in you? Lord, you are the true rock. We lay before you now the fears we are facing today. Lord, you are gracious and compassionate. We acknowledge now the ways in which we have denied you. Lord, you say to us, come and have breakfast. We humbly receive the grace, love, and sustenance you offer us. And may the Lord of love bring us back to himself, forgive us and assure us of his eternal love. In Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. 
can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week. Bye.